and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Yo, welcome everybody. So I am here by myself because my co-host Rocky lives in New York City and she is stuck in traffic, but she will be here with us shortly. As you can see, this is not the usual background from where we are broadcasting words and shit. I am live in Galveston, Texas at the Baravado Inc. Book Fair in front of a live audience. Audience, make some noise! Super freaking exciting for what is going down here tonight. We are featuring local artists here from the Galveston, Houston, and beyond area. You can see some of their books in the background. Uh, so we want this to be as interactive as possible. We're going to be taking questions from the audience here, but also yourselves watching out in the virtual land. So make sure you use that comment section to throw in your questions. We have some incredible authors that are going to be featuring for you tonight is absolutely going to be a speed dating type of night. We're going to bring on each of the authors. They're going to read a poem. We're going to have a conversation and then we're going to bring on the next author. So you're going to get a plethora of poetry tonight. You excited for poetry tonight, people? I love having a live audience, all right? As soon as Rocky gets on here, we're gonna jump her on so that we can have a healthy conversation, but we're gonna get the night going because tonight there's been a whole slew of events here in Galveston at the bar and there's something happening right after us. So if you're in the area, come on down. Any case, our first guest tonight, Jarena Harris is a mother poet and Galveston resident. They, the host of Coast to Soul Poetry monthly open mic at the Proletariat in Galveston. In 2020, she published her first book on everything I love, poems for Giovanni to honor her firstborn. She is the founder of Baravado Inc., an artist collective of black, brown, and Asian revolutionaries, artists, visionaries, and activists for diaspora opportunity with the mission of supporting BIPOC artists in their contributions to culture and community by ensuring artists are paid for their art. She is the organizer of the event that we are at audience both in the virtual world and here live at the bar please welcome Tarina Harris to stay all right all right how are you I'm chilling we're good okay so I'm gonna get out of the way I'm gonna let you do a poem okay. and we're gonna kick it off that way and then uh, we'll be back. I'm just gonna exit stage left all right, y'all, so um, I'm gonna do a poem that I wrote a while ago. I, uh, I I think I quit a job every other year, every two years seems to be kind of the trend. And so the, uh, the poem I'm going to write is from maybe two job quits ago, and it's called uh, Jesus Eats Boiled Eggs and Peanut Butter. I'm supposed to leave my job at the prison. I'm supposed to leave something of a notice, but I get so distracted sometimes I've noticed that Things are looking a lot different on the way out than they did on the way in. I noticed prison ruined boiled eggs, peanut butter, and pancakes because they look a lot different on the way out than they do on the way in. I think I'm scared I do too. 
Everyone talks about finding Jesus when they catch a case. I wasn't looking, but I think I found him too. They didn't turn water into wine, but they can make a mean spread, y'all. I'm talking fried pickles and crumble cake without Crisco or an easy bake in sight. And he knew how to make a uniform so crisp it could stand up with, by itself without an iron or even one spray of starch church was held every Tuesday. And he could not sing, y'all, like, at all. Amazing Grace had two verses. The second was praise God repeated 14 times in a row. He died in prison alone from cancer of the bones I saw on the floor and fed him Cheerios with my hands. I remember when he could walk still, he tried to make a last meal of razors. I remember when he threw a fit because I wouldn't give him the electric razor. I said, now look, bed scene, house 16, uses it to shave his pubes. Don't nobody clean that nasty thing anyways. I'm doing you a favor, you're welcome. I think he anointed it as a blessing to see. Jesus taught me lessons and he had a long nose always had something to complain about and loved drinking coffee and gardening. She lost both her daughters in freak shooting accidents. She wore purple classes. She was sca never scared to share food, had a stank ass attitude. Her mother was a Holocaust survivor and her stepmother was an awful, awful woman. Jesus was addicted to crack. Jesus sold her body for crack and became pregnant with a crack baby. When her water broke, y'all, our fears flooded so much higher than the Harvey outside. You see, babies are not supposed to be born here. They just break so easily. But then came that first cry. And that first tear alone was enough water for us all to be baptized new life. Although we all tried somehow, we still break so easily. Jesus called me a shit-covered tarantula nigga. She had 55 staff assaults and was locked up for stabbing someone over a shopping cart. Jesus called me pigeon-toed princess. Pigeon told Barbie, Jesus never gave me my dream house. One Sunday night, Jesus asked if I had gone to church that morning. I said yes. He asked if I ever saw amputees in church. I said, no, not really. When I realized what he was really asking, I told Jesus I've never seen anyone in church, but sometimes in the grocery store, and he nodded. Jesus was getting out soon. I guess I am too. We're both scared. We both break so easily. So we praise God 14 times in a row and thank them on the way out. Y'all make some noise for Tarina Harris. Show some love in the comments section, audience. All right, all right. And welcome, Rocky. Oh, my goodness. Hi. Hi, everyone. Here we go. Let's see. Hi. Can you see me? Hey. Hi. Yes, we can see. All right. We are we are now a full team here. We're so excited. And I'm so excited. I just got, like, right when you started, I was like, perfect. So, Tarina, I want to start off because you've organized this event here that uh, that is, um, before we get into your book, yeah. uh, that we're showcasing a bunch of local artists. So tell us about the impetus for this event, what is happening here today, like why did you do it, and what is, what is going on? Uh, so honestly, um, Baravado Inc. is an idea that I've had in my brain for a while. The logo existed far before the mission. Um, I think it's a cute ass logo, but uh, really just, um, I'm, I mean, I was just talking to Lachelle earlier about just kind of like social media and, and the importance of creating spaces um, that, don't want, that, that don't make you want to burn everything down um, and being really intentional. Uh, I'm not born in Galveston, I'm an Islander by choice is what we call it. And um, Galveston's done a lot and means a lot for me and to me. And so wanting to intentionally create a space um, Create a space and 
design with the mission of like supporting the things that I, I care about deeply and then pulling everybody that I really like into it uh, to kind of celebrate that with me. Hey, I love that. I love that. A little round of applause for that. So uh, let's dive into this book a little bit. Uh, it's the book that you're sharing on everything I love, Poems for Giovanni. Uh, Giovanni is your, your daughter, yeah. your firstborn. Can you tell us a little bit about this book that you are showcasing today? Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, the manuscript for this book has had at least two or three different titles. Initially, it was called Limited Creators, um, which was something that kind of came from a social work class of kind of distinguishing what are ethics versus morals versus laws. And it was kind of agreed on that um, when it gets to the point of something being a law, it has limited creators. There are a limited number of people who get to dictate what that thing means. And at the time, I was teaching poetry uh, for middle school, high school, and juvenile students. And in a way, like I'm like, oh, they are limited creators. They, they are making all of this art and have all these things to say about the world. Um, but there's only so far that those words go until somebody else has to kind of warrant or, or allow them access to the spaces for those words. And that manuscript didn't, I don't have a book called Limited Creators, right? And so like, that didn't happen. Um, and I think the biggest reason was because I wasn't ready. You know, I had the means and I had community and I had uh, the resources to publish. But really, uh, this book came out of, um, I needed it. Uh, I was pregnant. Um, I was confronting a lot of like really uh, toxic and problematic shit habits, tendencies in myself, uh, while also trying to trying to look at like, how do you hold yourself accountable um, and also bring your child into the world from like a really healthy place and not, you know, a place of like you, of, of self hate and uh, and all of that. And so um, I, I looked at like what are all of the what are all of the parts of me that I want to um, grow and want to um, dedicate and and, and give uh, to my daughter, um, and then put them in the book and divided the book as such, uh, just about being on the ass and and identity and and um, just things that I'm like I want you to know that you got this from me. You know, um, so that's really that's really where the book come, came from. I love it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your words. Um, it's just like so inspiring of like you know where this is coming about. Um, and so I think what I want to know too, especially since it's book fair, um, you're showcasing your work right now. Like, if you have any new projects coming up, uh, where do you see yourself and your work like transforming within the next couple of years? Uh, I think for me, there's, so to answer both questions, the next project that I'm working on, but really haven't given myself like a deadline, um, it has a title, uh, the title is It's Supposed to Smell Like That. Um, <laughs> that's so great. Because it is. And uh, whatever the it is, it's supposed to smell like that. And um, outside of that, like outside of like writing, and I feel like I'm really in the space of um, the things that give me the most life and, and maintain the most energy are, are curating, creating, and organizing spaces to just gas up, you know, the people that I really love and appreciate. And also, um, get to pull in people that I haven't met yet, that I, I want them to have access to these spaces to showcase their work and just really in a space of like, how do I create opportunities for other artists to be recognized and supported and, and paid uh, with money? So, yeah. Snaps for being artists. Yes. 
And then, so like you're, you're saying that you're trying to like curate or basically target um, certain like writers. Do you have like a specific audience or writers in mind of like it could be an age group, it could be like um, gender or sexuality? Like, what is your work trying to like involve with more other players? I think um, I've always been really big on inclusive spaces. So like when I look at audience, like I want everyone to the fuck up because I think that like that all the people that I really rock with have something really valuable to offer. Um, when it comes to like who am I seeking out to showcase, it really is uh, artists of the global majority. Um, but like I'm so thankful that that's language <laughs> that is like being like normalized. Um, but really, especially like I work in and grew up around like a lot of um, spaces that centered whiteness and so it's like when when i create events that are that are about like hey this is black brown and indigenous asian artists it's not anti-whiteness it's just we're centering something that is not the the normative of like a lot of the environments that we're existing in we're centering the words and works of people that are often like we're not included in you know your k through 12 education um and you're missing out so we're actually doing you a favor kind of thing um <laughs> So they're welcome. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's it's it's for everybody from from the people that I don't that that I want to make sure are heard. answer. I love that. I want to open it up to anybody in the audience here or anybody in the audience in the virtual space. Do we have a question that we want to pose to our featured poet right now? Throwing it out there. Don't be shy. Do we? Have is this gonna be an annual event? So it will be, according to Becky, who also like, thank you Becky for letting us have this. Shout out um, to Becky. Shout out to Becky. Uh, with Becky with the best hair. Um, so this is something that Proletariat has offered to let us kind of uh, rock with quarterly. And so we'll be aiming to do it four times a year. As long as we have authors and authors, we don't have to have an ISBN. Like you could go to Kinko's, don't go to Kinko's. <laughs> like, reach out to somebody. There are better ways to print. Um, but it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is officially published. You could legit just show up with like, hey, I printed this from my mom's computer. Can I sell it? The answer is yes. Um, it's We want to do it quarterly. As long as we have enough artists to, to make it an event, it's going to be an event. Awesome. Well, thank you for your work. Thank, thank you, you for your words. We are keeping on with the speed dating formats because we have so many all right, Raquel, you ready for the next poet? I am definitely ready for the next poet. Who are we bringing up? Let's do it. Next, coming to the stage. Did they pass the mic? They did. Lachelle the Shooter RH is a writer, performer, and visual storyteller from Brooklyn, New York, by way of Houston, Texas. She has a BS in civil engineering from Southern University and A&M College in Baton Rouge, and an EMBA from Texas Women's University. She is a Two-time Women of the World Poetry Slam finalist, ranking third in 2021. Y'all, welcome to the stage, Lachelle the Shooter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I right. feel like Brooklyn's in the house. Like, where? <laughs> She's in Brooklyn. She's in Brooklyn. All right. Well, I'm gonna jump off the screen, and you're gonna read a poem, and then we'll come back and have some conversation. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, I got a quick one for y'all, if y'all are okay with that. Um, quick one minute. So this is from uh, my chat book that's here today, Flat Feet, Diabetes and a Pretty Smile, Poems for My Father. My sisters, cousins, homegirls, and me tie up our hair. 
grab our earrings and slick down in Vaseline. We grab the strap, roll the backpack, pack in the SUV, and roll out. Demons have made a party of these bodies too long. Me and my girls got the remedy. We cut off fuck boys before they speak. Got invocations on our tongues like swerve, nigga, cause we take each other on dates. Got lavish picnics with cheeses on them wood boards with a name we can't pronounce, but the wine sipping, the breeze breezing, laughter laughing, sun shining, and we got a glow that get forgotten about too often how platonic be plentiful. The circle's small but colossal. We stay up late, shea butter and cocoa moisturize each other's wounds so the scars fade. Do not get Buried beneath the same cuts made by different blades, ghosts, ghouls, fuckboys, and daddy issues ain't creeping into our bedrooms tonight. Come on. Hey, y'all make some noise. Let's show the shooter. So, quick, quick, my question you got, you got two books here in yeah. the house. Tell us a little bit about these two books that you got. Okay, so the first one. <laughs> Because therapy ain't for black folks. Um, I wrote that in the comforts of my home before I decided to actually go to therapy. You know, we have this phase where we think that poetry is like therapy. Um, so I had one of those phases too. <laughs> it, it, it is therapeutic. And it's therapeutic. It's not therapy. Um, but yeah, so I just wrote that because I needed a way to kind of like outlet whatever I was going through before I actually got the courage to go to therapy and talk about it with people in the comforts of my own home. And when I was like just stepping into myself as like comfortably identifying as a black queer woman. Um, so that was that book. And then Flat Feet Diabetes and a Pretty Smile is really recent. Um, got inspired by a poem from Ethel Nehemiah when he released a poem called Haunting, um, specifically about his 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 own personal um relationship with his, I guess, baby mother and, and not being able to see his child. Um, and then right on the cups of Father's Day, I realized that like this was the first Father's Day where I wasn't okay in a long time. Um, and I wanted to kind of wrap with that relationship or lack thereof that I have with my own father. Um, so that one poem ended up becoming 10, 11 poems of me just like, hey, I'm going to talk my shit about my dad and we're going to be done with this, hopefully. Um, and that's where it came from. And it just got this awkward title because coincidentally, when I went home for one of the first times, my mom and us actually talked about my father a little bit. She was like, oh, yeah, the flat feet that your daughter got, um, you get that from your father. Diabetes, too. And, and your pretty ass smile. <laughs> so I decided to use that as a title. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, that's great. That's so great. And I think, um, you know, when we talk about just like even family history and stuff like that, especially like centering as like a black queer woman, right? That is how uh, you're writing from your positionality. Um, I kind of want to know, like, do you see other black queer women doing it, um, doing this, um, the poetry, where are you getting your inspiration from? And what kind of, how do you want your work reached? Yeah, I mean, I do. Um, like, luckily for me, I walked into a space and it was like really safe with a lot of black queer women, a lot of queer artists. Um, 
that I get to, like, I've been mentored by some of them. Um, some of them are my peers. I've competed against some of them. And I have not found a single one that's not dope. So, um, <laughs> black queer women, they just do, you know, they, they do the damn thing. So um, they are constantly inspiring me to just write um, and challenge me to write my best work. So I think that's really why I'm proud of the chat book, because I feel like it's like, now that I found this circle, I'm being challenged to push outside of my boundary, and I got a chance to do that now. Love it. Love it. So once again, we want to open it up to the audience here. Does anyone have a question that they'd like to pose to our author? Book three. When's it coming? Is it coming? <laughs> it's coming, actually. Um, it's going to be released at the end of August. It's called Jaywalking. Um, and it is specifically a project centered around black queer women, black women, and our talk about intersectionality um, and how that discussion and what that discussion looks like from both being in the being in the communities of both black folks, queer folks, and women. So you'll see a lot of mix and it's a full link. So I'm excited for it. All right. All right. Well, the chapbook is called Flat Feet Diabetes and a Pretty Smile. The book is called Cause Therapy Ain't for Black Folks. They are available here live, but also I believe on a website. Yes, on my website, violetshell.com. Y'all can hit it up um, anytime and I'll send it to you. So that's it. There you go. All right, everybody. Give it up, Michelle, the shooter. You know, Rocky, I'm, I, I, I've never done a thing, a speed dating thing, and this is this is adrenaline. I was gonna say, I was like, you know, um, for our audience members, because I can't see the audience, so I'm just like looking at you and the poets. But usually, we do have our speed dating like section, our little um, area, you know. And then today is like, oh wow, we're really speed dating these poets. For real, for real. And they're all beautiful. Like. Yeah, yeah. Well, just to prove that we are here in front of a live audience. Say hello, oh, audience. Hey. It's a first for words and shit. It is. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Yes. So our next poet, moving on, moving on. You're getting speed round. Our next poet is Kenji Lockett. Her book is called Afro. Afro will take you on a journey in the life of a queer black woman with a male Japanese name. Included in this collection is works written over the time period from 2003 to 2018, coming out and having to navigate in a world that is not always accepting. Writing became the medicine and the best way to express these experiences. Yes, there were tender and dark moments, but at the end of those tunnels is growth. Y'all, welcome to the stage, Kenji. All right, so the title of this poem is from my first book. Um, it's called Fat Girl Problems. I'm just going to read open there. Fat Girl Problems. And even now as an adult, the insults, well, those never get old, nor are they original. From the mouth of those who don't know your soul, and think you're big because you sit around and stuff your face all day. Yeah, fat girl problems. I have a vague recollection of what it was like to be small and skinny. Those years went by fast, as if being thin was never part of my past. I ate because I couldn't trust no one. Maybe 
It was the feelings of being inferior, living in a house full of men who teased and scared the shit out of me because it was fun. Or maybe it was witnessing all this physical, spiritual and verbal abuse. So I ate and I ate instead of spilling my guts, I filled my gut with poison. And through this process of eating processed foods, I found comfort from pain and depression and from all the things that made me feel dead inside. Yeah, fat, so fat in fact, that when, it was, that when I was in junior high school, my father thought I was pregnant because my belly did protrude more than, than it was supposed to. Feeling lonely and lost for so many years, I was desensitized and I couldn't really shed my tears. I didn't feel that love because I couldn't fully trust anyone. So I continued to eat, but years, but years later when my walls started to break and my hard exterior layers got peeled back like the skin on a piece of fruit, I start to see myself and my life in a different light. And I'm still trying every day to love every aspect of me, from my rose to all my stretch marks, while fighting the illusion that there's a thin person inside of every fat person, when I, all I really needed was someone to confide in instead of judging my fat girl problems. All right, y'all make some noise for Kenji. Um, no, I think hurts, and I really think that you know that problem really hit for me. Um, and I just learned to say thank you because I feel like when we talk about poems, especially like food justice, right? And you know what we take the literature it's like so sacred. So I want to know um, and also giving your bio that you you do a lot of community involvement with food justice. Uh, you know, you talk about um how you want to i guess how 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 do you want to change right your community with your words specifically around food and your body um and then different. <laughs> um, <laughs> um i really i think my work i'm hoping my work will help actually people to see how they can grow and heal from the place that they are you know um, I think I've always had an issue with my weight, and it wasn't until I became homeless and I was pre-diabetic um, that I really started taking a look at myself, my body image, um, and I started shopping at the farmer's market, and it went from there. I just started having healthier foods, and I started doing that for myself, even like just living off of food stamps, you know? So I think for me, if people can see that someone else did it and can do it, and that if I can inspire one person, just say, you know what, I can just start from the place where I'm at or I am right now, then that would be good for me. That would be like, that would be, you know, something to help someone else. Yeah, I think that's incredible because uh, the art form, you know, every art form has a way to like really positively impact people, and especially poetry and writing. Uh, you and I were kind of talking earlier uh, about your journey and your process. And so, you mentioned that like writing was a was like a therapeutic tool for you. Lachelle kind of talked on uh, on that as well in terms of like therapy wasn't a thing that like black people do, but you found some therapy through writing. Can you talk a little bit about how that has influenced uh, how that has come through and in this book specifically? Um, let's see here. I started writing when I was seventeen, and for me, it was about depression and suicide. 
I didn't know I was suicidal until I started writing. And that's how I was able to get access to like therapy. But at that time when I was in high school, I didn't really like therapy because they wanted to put me on medication. So writing became like something I just did every day um, or when I could like to actually help me get what I was feeling out because I had no, no avenue I felt to express that. You know, I tried to keep journals when I was a kid, but I didn't feel like I had privacy. And like my writing for me is like sacred and private, you know? So it just became like this thing I did. And when I got to college, I actually majored in English literature. Um, <laughs> yeah. And my teacher, one of my English teacher told me that in order to get good at writing, I have to do it every day. So I, from, I would say probably, April 2004 to the end of the year, I wrote like over 300 poems. So it's just like, you know, that just became like a ammunition. It was, for me, it was raw. I was able to get my anger out in a positive way. I didn't have to take that on anybody else, you know? And it was me being in my own world because I'm also an introvert. So it was just, for me, it's always been therapeutic therapy that no one else can really understand unless you've been in a position of having no place to go you know yeah. and you know some people have dance some people have art i just have writing yeah well we want to applaud you on your journey applaud you on your work you know the work never stops uh we're really excited your book is called afro volume one yes. um so i'm curious is there a volume two coming soon that's in the works i'm hoping next year 2022 um but i'm getting some new stuff together and it's going to be better than the first one. It's going to, it's going to be it's going to be more growth and more healing. All right. Any questions from the audience? Yeah, over there. Hi, my name is Kevin. Um, so we just went through this COVID nineteen thing, and I know that food is having trouble. So did that make any really hard adjustments during this time, as far as like the journey into your second book? Um, I think it actually made it a little bit better because. With the pandemic, I got laid off from my job, so I had more time to do the things I couldn't do. So with the pandemic, it was like, okay, I was looking for a way to have more time to write and just be me and just come into myself. And I so I found it, found that through this process of being laid off, I was able to write more, able to deal with whatever I had to deal with. You know, I discovered that I was also identified as non-binary. So it was just me coming into my authentic self more um, through the um, COVID-19, which is something I don't think I could have did in a corporate setting. Mm -hmm. You know, in a corporate setting, you have to dress or act a certain way, and I couldn't be myself fully. So it's definitely been like a step up. Yeah. Yeah, just throughout all of the horrible things that the past few years, the past few months have given us, it has definitely given us a lot of time to reflect you know, and to look inward. So can't wait to see what happens with volume two and all the reflection that you did. Thank you for joining us on this stage, y'all. Can you give it up for Kenji? Oh, amazing. This is all amazing. I'm so excited. Speed eating. Speed eating, yeah. thing. All right, moving on to the next poet. Our next poet, Aris Keon. Is an inaugural member of the Coog Slam 2019 Sports in the Nation Collegiate Poetry Slam team. She was ranked 
number 10 in the 2020 Women of the World Poetry Slam. She is an emerging writer's fellow with writers in the schools and imprint C. Glenn Camber fellow at the University of Houston. She loves cookies and cream milkshake, writing haikus to strangers on the internet and claiming the DMV in HTX and HTX in the DMV. Y'all, please welcome Aris Keon to the stage. Who is no stranger to the shit stage? So let me get out of the way and let you just do you. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. All right. Hi, y'all. I'm Eris. My poem is called Circus Act. Black girl be the best magic trick with how she vanishes under a spotlight like poof. See the trap door that be the sidewalk by the train station, be the bus stop, be the back seat of a ride share. What I mean is, one time I made it home on a phone with no battery and the crowd was unimpressed. Their groans echoing about the bleachers. Give us fanfare, they chanted. Give us fire for the tightrope walk, which be my nightly commute. I do that in my sleep. A man spits through the peanuts in his teeth and I disappear behind my closed mouth smile, speed up into the lamplight, swallow the flaming hoops behind my tongue, stunt one, performed in a continuous night no matter the hour when she is blindfolded, foldable enough to fit into a trunk or into the hands of a man she learned never loved her back, black girl, be the best assistant with how she falls victim to a show she never asked to be in, see how she contorts in order to fit through the tightest of holes, see how she be so seen, yet so unnoticed as she slips through the cracks and one by one the crowd looks around, gasps, she's gone, a roaring applause awaiting the next illusion, don't see how she wasn't really there and everyone settles into their seats a bit more comfortable, don't see who is going missing in the audience, dwindling until there is only you, left with the met mess of spit and shells around your feet and no one else to clean it. Y'all make some noise for Aris Keong. But this is like my third time interviewing Eris, and every time it's a joy. I always love hearing you speak. Um, you're really becoming like you are like one of my favorite poets, really. Um, Thank you. And I, I think you know. Of course, of course. You look awesome. Hey, so much. Oh, I wish I was there to like you. Um, but my favorite thing to ask you, I think, really is like, especially with like black academic and uh, in your book, that you know you really go against like white like white supremacy and like white academia by putting making sure that the space and the pages are white and your your words are like make sure that they're black and they're they're taking up that space right um yeah. can just kind of talk a little bit more about um you know what the tension is about that and then what you see your next work gonna kind of do that with like i guess with wordplay and like page play as well Totally. Um, yeah, like career academic right now. Um, that's what I do. Um, but I do find myself dealing with a lot of tension when it comes to uh, presenting my work um, in these primarily white spaces, but also just a very elitist kind of spaces, spaces that uh, focus more on tradition and the institution and what they like. Um, and I've learned how to navigate that, but um, I've also found um, 
a lot of my creativity being stifled uh, for means of uh, following a specific ideology or following a specific form. Um, and so moving along with my next works, um, I have a thesis coming up and I've decided to do two. Oh. <laughs> I've decided to do two. Um, one that like I'm, I'm happy to have the academia, uh, all my peers, colleagues rip apart, um, but one that I don't want to go through the workshop process. So um, that's the one I'm, I want to go through my city and the people I love and care about that are not necessarily in institutions. Um, so that's one of the ways I I'm trying to combat that sort of tension, um, that sort of strange feeling I have navigating these spaces. Um, it's more work for me, but um, I think I'll be more excited about the work that I put out when I commit to something that's like, has like the hands of my city and not necessarily uh, just people that are in the University of Houston. Yeah, yeah. Can we uh, talk about the motif then of a black woman in white spaces having to do double work? <laughs> um, no, absolutely. Thinking about um, how I have to, I, I often, when I'm in my classes, have to think about, am I going to write the paper that I'm excited about writing? Um, or am I going to write the paper that people want me to write? Um, I've had to make that choice very, very many times. Sometimes I've made the other choice, the one I didn't really want to write, but I knew that my professor would love, got high praise. And then the paper that I really was excited about writing that was thinking about community spaces, thinking about our legends in community, uh, in uh, slam spaces like Ebony Stewart, writing about these people that I love and care about and being like, um, I don't think you cited your sources correctly. <laughs> like there's no source for slam. Like you're not gonna find, I'm not gonna get that from the Princeton Review. Like I'm not gonna find that. So um, having to navigate that's been, it's been wild, but um, I have one more year left. So we better be outie. <laughs> we better be out. I love that. So you released this book, this little chapbook, uh, a little while ago, yeah. right? Yeah. When we had you on, we talked about it a little bit. What's kind of been? I know you just said you're working on two theses, but what's what's come after this? Yeah. What have you been um, working on since? Since uh, I started getting into more organizing spaces, um, I've started thinking about how my city is reflected in my work um, mm -hmm. and how. Um, my work is reflected in my city. So right now, after Black Academic, I'm more interested in uh, uh, community organizing spaces and more about how uh, those voices uh, should show up in creative works. So that's my next project. Uh, that's my thesis. Um, and you know, we'll see how we'll see what happens. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I'm excited to see what comes of it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh yeah! Oh. oh yeah! I just turned this into an EP. Uh, so if you get the book, you can listen to the poems with music in the background. If you like chill hop, <laughs> that's the vibe. You think? I love that. Is there any questions from the audience? Because that was a shout out from the audience. Any questions for Eris from the audience? Over here, Kevin. Uh, Kevin. Um, so with the EP, that's a good question so let me repeat it for the people that are watching that could maybe couldn't hear Kevin the question was with the EP since that's something new uh, is that something you're gonna continue to do with your work or was just that just like a one-off that happened because you didn't originally release yeah. it with the EP yeah this was like a like a, a way to revamp this kind of project um, I absolutely love my my EP. I'd be listening to it in my car, um, and so I absolutely think it's something I would do again. Um, I'm I am excited about it whenever uh, like it comes upon me again. I, I love the process of doing it, um, but just very low stakes, very chill. Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks. I love that. I love that. And oh, we got another question. Hi, um, Justine. I, was, I just. Sorry, I liked your poem. Was it 
Totally. That's a great question. My answer. Let me, oh, please, yeah, let me repeat. So the question was, as someone who has worked in academia, how do we make the spaces more accessible, more available for more people? Um, my, I, my idea is that. <laughs> I see Rocky's um, face. She too works in academia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think by accepting the fact that the university is a lie, uh, it does not to be need to be like we all have the ideas and the resources. Um, we just keep putting it in with, within walls. Um, Chibi does workshops outside of universities. Like this, I learned so much from this uh, from this person. I learned so much from people in my communities. Uh, I think if we understand that education is not just walls. We learn education is uh, learning from the people around us, growing from the people that around us. Uh, the idea of a professor is wild. Um, <laughs> you can learn from your students. You can mm -hmm. learn from your community. You can learn from artists. Um, but also, uh, I also just like contention in spaces. If you if you use the whole class just to argue, that's fine. Like that's you did what you <laughs> need to do. Um, but yeah, I think starting off with uh, debunking the idea that the university is uh, where people go to get information and then take it out to the community when the community already has all of it. All right, all right. Oh, oh another one, hot, hot conversation. What's your favorite way to burn it all down? <laughs> <laughs> the, qu the question was, what is your favorite way to burn it all down? That's so funny. Um, one of my favorite lines in class is like, I didn't feel loved by this text. Um, <laughs> no, I will not be explaining further. Um, but no, that's a good question. Um, that being very contentious in class, but also just by like um, being outside of spaces as much as possible. Just being, uh, one of the ways I'm thinking about burning things down is like when I go to a slam, I feel the same sort of rage and fire that I get at like a protest. Uh, I feel that same sort of energy when I'm at church. Like that community space feels like a fire. Sometimes you just need a controlled fire. Sometimes you need that, that really high energy, uh, seeing people in motion. Um, and sometimes you need to burn things down to build things up, so. All right. Well, Aris Keon, the book is Blackademic. It is available here as well as on your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can access it from my website. There you go. Thank you so much, Aris. Yeah, a round of applause for Aris, please. <laughs> Woo, Rocky. We actually have a very special way to close out tonight's show. We have one more poet that is coming to join us to the stage. This poet is the author of How I'm Like Tequila, and he was most recently named the 2022 Texas Poet Laureate. Yo, welcome to the stage, Lupe Mendez. My friend and yours. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hey. We're hanging in there. Technical difficulties and all. All right, Lupe. I'm going to get out of your way and just let you do what you do. Okay. Yes, Paul. Um, if everybody would open their books to page one. Kidding. <laughs> uh, mercy. Immigration officers call off a massive hunt. State there are too many hurricanes in the area they want to pick apart. 
We go right back to work in Houston, ask families what they need after a storm. One lady sits on a chair outside her place, dips a piece of mold into her black coffee. She hands us bricks, wet ones, says to take them to help build that wall, said they won't even stop all the raindrops from crossing over in the night. A little girl traces a water line and crayon in one room, hasta aquí llegó, on her tippy toes. Another man hands us the dripping eviction notice. His face is soggy with fright. He tells us the cops will be here soon to kick people into the waterlogged street. He asks us to find the word mercy in the dictionary. Misericordia. And rip the goddamn thing out. Y'all make some noise for Lupe Pepe. always a pleasure to hear your voice i want to i want to I, I want to tell you we had you on earth in season one birds and shit you were one of one of the first people uh one of the first few that came on we had zero credibility you had no idea what you were signing up for <laughs> no no not at all and you were just like i don't know i, I trust you i uh, yes. let's, let's let's do the do the damn thing um so i'm curious because since we last talked what's been going on in your life <laughs> um raising a now three-year-old is always in the cards um both uh, my partner is also a writer, and so both of our lives have been very filled with writerly things. Mm. Um, she now is working on her like fourth book, that's a, uh, a children's book that'll actually come out um, in a few months. Um, I am still celebrating uh, why I'm like the Kida. Uh, it won an award. Hey. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. It's, <laughs> it's two years old. People keep asking me about it. It's, oh, that one. Um, um, I was just named the poet laureate for the year after. Um, so we'll see. I'm starting to get crazy bookings. I, Papa John's Pizza just booked me. Oh, we're name dropping let's, now. Let's discuss. <laughs> let's discuss all the things about things. Um, but all that said, uh, aside from that, working on another, actually two collections at the same time, and that's wild uh, shit. And so, can I say shit? Yeah, shit. it's called words and shit. Oh, and shit. Um, <laughs> so, working on those two things at the same time, and trying to hold a day job in the middle of a pandemic. So things. 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 So I, yeah, I was gonna say, like, it's always so interesting to be um, during this pandemic and like, what does it mean to to advocate for literacy and, and your words and like, what does it mean to be doing everything during this pandemic, right? I would say, interestingly, it is a constant, a constant reinvigorating energy to find ways to create space so that other people can create works that they love doing. Mm -hmm. um, I spent many years 
doing the back show stuff. So I, I wrote a little bit behind the curtain while staging things and other events and providing platform. And I did the rookie stuff of just doing the lights and like getting people to their seats. <laughs> um, and then eventually got to the point of curating and organizing events in the city uh, to then switching gears and providing space so that we could pay writers to come and do their thing and practice their craft with the general public. Um, I'm a, a big, big, massive fan of free everything. <laughs> um, and so if I can, this, the quickest thing is, if I can provide a space where I can figure out a way to pay writers to do what they love and then have them have access to all these other people and I don't have to do shit, <laughs> that is the dopest thing. I'm literally like, here's the space, here's some things, here's some pens, mm -hmm. go. Uh -huh. and, and when that works, then everybody's a winner. And uh, we don't do it, that's it. That's, that's pretty much it. I like, I like being in the background and yeah. Yeah, and I think we, we mentioned this when you were on our show last year. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, Lupa Mendez is a Houston institution. <laughs> you know, you, you have for years created spaces for people and uplifted your community along the way. Uh, so I'm curious now as next year being a Texas institution, what kind of spaces are you excited to explore, to inhabit, uh, and to create? Um, a tip of the hat to everyone here for doing this work in this town. I would begin by saying that it is a shameful thing that my brown ass has not come home to do more craft and work. That said, being Texas Poet Laureate gives me the opportunity to come back full force with lots of other ideas. Um, part of my focus, one, will be this space, uh, the island. And then from then on, I want to, I've been toggling with the idea of figuring out the context, the craft and the ability of everyday teachers in the state of Texas mm. and finding a way for teachers of color to express the concerns and the things that they've seen because they are the canary in the coal mine when it comes to the ever-changing face of what is happening with policy and curriculum across the state. So part of my idea, if it works, and if I can get it funded, crossing <laughs> fingers, knock on wood, uh, is to get money so that I can visit rural and metropolitan spaces to talk to teachers in a workshop setting, and then also collect their works and anthologize it so that the public can see what's happening in our classrooms, yeah. not from behind an article, a news article that might filter what they say, mm -hmm. but the raw language, the collected oral histories of educators from across our state. Yeah, all right. I love that and I can't wait to see it. I think, I think, I think. We'll see how it goes. You right. start that next year. I think we have time for one or two questions from the audience. If anyone's got, we'll go there and then we'll go there and we'll see if we can throw you in as well. Uh, yes, it was hard. Okay, so I, I mean, I know the answer to this, but like, what are some of the effects that y'all are still seeing, that you're still seeing from people still trying to recover? 
the question for those of you all watching in the virtual spaces, what are some of the effects that we're still seeing uh, from Hurricane Harvey that people are still recovering from? Um, Port Lavaca, Port Aransas, Aransas, they don't have a school district still. The state of Texas has yet to give them the funding to rebuild their school district, and all those kids are being shoveled off to three other school districts, point blank. When we talk about Harvey and the history and the narrative behind that, we constantly talk about the effect it had on Houston. And as a metropolitan city, yes, there are effects to our populations, but we have to play that in terms of what is also happening to rural populations who had even less resources than Houston and Harris County as a whole. That state, the communities that have been affected the most, second ward, third ward, uh, old sixth ward, all of the southwest side, all of the north side, there are still spaces who have yet to receive any kind of monies due to them from both the federal and the state. That is still a problematic thing these many years later. The fact that we are still building out in grass areas and putting concrete, whatever next storm comes, can be that thing that, again, throws them into the waves. And that's that's the hard pill to swallow. Yeah, yeah. And we actually have someone in the room whose primary job is helping people get the funding they need to rebuild their houses. Uh, so I'm just throwing that out there. Shout out to my sister. Uh, question back there. So the, the question was, uh, they were asking, as a new Texas resident, how can Texas communities help you and support you to accomplish your initiatives? Um, once I can get the whole project up and running, um, tell everybody. Um, the I, I cannot speak to the history of the position. Well, I can speak to portions. The, the history of the position of Texas Poet Laureate is shady as shit. <laughs> um, they used to provide funding at some point, but then the state got taken over by, uh -huh, and now there's <laughs> nothing. Like, we, there's no, like, in order for me to get money to be able to do this project, I will have to apply to the National Endowment for the Arts, point blank. I'm eligible, and that's cool, but Texas ain't giving no shit to poets, so... And that's cool because I get to talk lots of shit now about the guy that voted for me. Hey! And that's the shit that goes. Um, aside from that, it's it's just the, the honest by word of mouth that has always been the letter of the day in the state of Texas. Um, there is, you can see it within the very structured and the quote unquote fake news of what is happening with information. And so by the same token, hopefully the positive things can spread just as wide as possible. And thank you from wherever you're from. Welcome to Texas. Hey. Well, unfortunately, we there's another show that's going to happen immediately after this. So we got to cut that conversation. But Lupe, thank you so much for joining us here. I love you. I love you. Lupe, everybody. His book. How I'm Like Tequila is available in the room as well as, I assume, on a website somewhere. Rocky. Hi. <laughs> <laughs>
this was. I know, we like legit just speed dated uh, five poets, uh, five amazing poets. Uh, that I wish again I was there um, to say hi to y'all, to give you uh, social distance hugs, or to like be with y'all. But it was this is amazing. Um, I'm glad that we do the work. I'm glad that y'all do the work for us to ask you the questions about um, everything you do and why your word um, and your poetry matter. So I wanted to say thank you. Again, I can't see the audience, but I just want to give the audience a round of applause to y'all, right, for being here. Yeah. <laughs> This was wild. This was raucous. This is the first time we tried something like this. Um, you know, it's a learning process. Uh, I don't think it'll be the last time. We'll see what happens. You know, technical difficulties aside, such a great show. Thank you to the audience in the room and the audience that was watching on the virtual stage. Uh, I don't have our sheet in front of me. I don't know who's supposed to say what. I do. <laughs> so you already said name the audience. So now it's my turn to say follow us on IG and Twitter, y'all. Um, if you have your phones, we actually, Chippy can see you. I can't see you, but Chippy sees you. Take out your phones <laughs> and follow us at AdWords and Shh, right? Without the IT at the end. Um, and basically you can watch any of our episodes on YouTube and anywhere you can find your podcasts. Okay. Yeah. If this is if this is your first time watching, if this is your first time joining us, or even if you've been here before, we have over uh, fifty-five episodes on podcasts and YouTube with poets from all across the country. So please go check that out. Next week we will be back in our regular format, and we will be bringing Susie Q to the Words and Shit stage, uh, a Denver institution. Uh, so we're so excited for that. But. Um, until next time, Rocky. Saludos. Saludos. Stay safe out there. <laughs>